Brilliant. We only have one week after this week left in the Less is More series. So this is uh, one of my favourite weeks and one of my favourite passages. There's some weird stuff at the beginning of it, isn't there? Did you think that? Some bloke who I know, I uh, don't want to mention his name, but was caught up to the third heaven. I don't know if it happened in body or not. God knows. But I know that it happened. I'm not telling you who it is, but I know the man very well. He says, talking about himself in a very strange sort of roundabout sort of way. But the essence of this, this passage is really, really important, I think, if we want to walk faithfully with God. And I'd really challenge you to open your heart to what he has to say this morning. The church at Corinth in the New Testament is the problem church. There are two recorded letters that we have in Scripture that were sent to the church in Corinth. And if you read those letters, it is clear that there were other letters that we don't have that were sent to the church in Corinth. More than that, Paul visited that and was intending to visit again. And a big part of the, of the message of 2 Corinth is, don't think that I'm not coming. And when I do come, make sure you're ready. You've put your house in order because I don't want to have to be in a position to tell you off. And in the context of this letter, he defends his ministry against what the letter calls super apostles. Now, these aren't Marvel characters. They are people who have a reputation, a reputation particularly for signs and wonders and seeing visions. And they like to tell stories about all that God had done through them and what they'd seen. And the people love these stories because they seem to think that this is what faith is about. This person seems like he walks with God in heaven from time to time. And he comes down and tells us what it's like. And then amazing things happen around these people. Wonders, visions, that's what faith is about. I don't actually think that if you follow what Jesus teaches, that is what faith is about. I don't think that Jesus doesn't lead us into having visions. And I certainly don't want to say that I don't believe in wonders happening. But I don't think that's the heart of the matter. And it's certainly not the heart of the matter to build individual people up who happen to seem to have this happen to them more often. That's quite clear. What Paul wants is to drag the people back from these signs and wonders people of all these stories to a Christ-centered gospel, which is about living day for day. You see, these super apostles are the sort of people who in a testimony time would leap forward. They love telling their stories. But when you listen to the story, their testimony isn't really about God. It's about them and about what they've done and how God has used them, which is really simple language to say, aren't I brilliant? We shouldn't trust people like that. We shouldn't follow people like that. That's what Paul says. Do you remember in the 80s, I think in the 80s, maybe the 90s, there was a, a group called M People. Some of you might know this. You're going to love this next bit, everybody. That Heather Small, how it was, it was this lady, used to belt this sign. She's like, what are you done today to make you feel proud? Do you know that song? What have you done today? Oh, I love singing that song. I've been looking forward to that all week. What have you done today to make you feel proud? This is a bad question for Christians to ask. What have you done today to make you feel pat proud? That's exactly Paul's point. You shouldn't be saying, what have you done today to make you feel proud? You should almost be saying, how have you been humbled today so you've known the strength of Christ? That's a pretty countercultural way of thinking, isn't it? 
But at the middle of all of this, Paul wants to say that I'm not going to boast if, about my strength. If I'm going to have to boast at all, and by the way, he makes it quite clear he could boast if he wanted to. I have got experiences, by the way, but I'm not going to talk about those. We'll come back to those in a minute. What he's going to say is that the gospel is more about your weaknesses, owning the suffering that you have, owning the struggles you have, and meeting God in the midst of that. His question isn't about showing strength, but about embracing weakness, being humbled, and finding in that place of humility the strength of Christ, rather than the strength of me. As part of the Less Is More series, most of our content today comes in the last couple of verses, but we need some context here, because context matters. The whole of 2 Corinthians, as I said, finds Paul defending himself against this charge that there are super apostles who have all these visions, and then there's Paul, who's really rather disappointing, because all he talks about is his weaknesses and Jesus and the gospel. The difficulty with this is that Paul rejects the idea of, of boasting in and of itself. He thinks boasting is foolishness, but he makes it absolutely clear that he does have things to boast about if he wanted to. But I'm not going to boast because boasting's stupid. But if I had to, I could say this, this, and this. But I'm not going to say that because to say that would be to boast. And I don't want to boast, do I? That's what Paul says in the midst of all of this. He wants it to make it clear that we have a problem if our natural disposition is that whenever we meet other people, we feel compelled to tell people how good we are at something. Can I let you into a secret, James? Just you. I do that from time to time. I do. I'm in groups of people and I can't help myself. I just let slip because everybody else seems to have good things said about them. I say, oh, and by the way, as well, I did this. Just, just let it slip in, just, just so that people know. I, I expect I'm the only one who does that, but uh, I just wanted to tell you that. Paul makes it clear that less is more when speaking about personal accomplishments. And he'll go on to say that the power of Christ is accessed and characterized by weakness and by humility. And we'll talk about that in a way. Paul writes to Corinth that, to say that spiritual experiences are okay. They have their place. And he isn't without these spiritual experiences. He says, doesn't he, he says, I know a man who went up in this, in, into the third heaven. And he says, and he saw thing, amazing things there. I know this man. In fact, in the New Living Translation, it makes it clear that this man is Paul himself. Because it translates the same verse saying, I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. So the first thing Paul says is, by the way, I do have these experiences. I was caught up and heard things which I can't even explain to you, but they were amazing. And the last part is the second thing he wants to say. What's the point in talking about things that can't really be expressed in words when there are actually things that can be expressed in words that really should be said? It doesn't matter so much what the architecture of heaven is like. It does matter that we talk about the poor and about the cross and about the need of people on this earth in words that people can understand. There's a parallel, I think, in this teaching between what Paul is saying about visions and what he says in 1 Corinthians 14 about prophecy and tongues. Now, if you know that passage, he talks about these two gifts. And he says, I do both of these things. But I would rather say one word that was comprehensible in the church than speak in tongues. Why? 
Because tongues are there for your own benefit. And so are visions, by the way, because he says that he was blessed by this. But it was really a personal experience. And personal things aren't necessarily those things which are given to us to share with everybody. They're to encourage us. What we do have is the gospel and Jesus. And we ought to be speaking about that. And we ought to involve ourselves in boasting about him rather than thinking about these other things. You see, Paul says that actually it's this stuff, it's this earth stuff that really, really matters. See, the gospel that he talks about isn't esoteric. That's a good word, isn't it? Esoteric. Why don't we use that word? It means it's not out there with these visionary, visionary thoughts and otherworldly stuff. Sometimes you do meet people like that. People who, in certain types of Christian meetings, seem to walk very closely with God and can tell you what's on his mind. And they seem to tell that, those people a lot more than they tell me quite a lot of the time. How do, what's, what's, what's so special about you that you've got this phone line with God the whole time? Well, just let me, I'll tell you what God's saying right at this, this particular moment. Or I've got this vision. I'm not saying that those things don't have their place, but if somebody says those, they ought to be saying them in humility. They ought to be offering them to people to say, weigh this. I think God may be saying to this, you should take this seriously. Pray about it with other people. See what's coming. But what Paul talks about is a very earthed and very clearly communicated message. It should be seen not in visions that only he witnesses, but it should be seen in the entirety of his life, which is lived out very clearly in front of other people around you. This is much harder, isn't it? Wouldn't it be easier if, uh, if we were given a vision or two and we could tell the story of that and that's the gospel message? It would be much easier to speak to, or less challenging to, to have those things to share than actually to say, well, actually, we're going to look at the way you live your life every day, day by day. That's what's going to communicate the gospel. Do you love people? Do you love God? Do you put others in front of yourself? Do you care for the poor? Do you have a heart which wants to share something of God's news with other people? Will you pray for people when they ask? Will you stand up for justice? Or do you just have a couple of visions to share? Paul says that his with, it's his witness of his living among people that really matters. He says that I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life and hear in my message. So it's really, really interesting that it's not the overtly supernatural things that really reveal God so much. It's the extraordinary faithfulness of living in the day by day. The extraordinary strength to continue to stand for Jesus and to walk with him and to love others as we go. In fact, the heart of Paul's message comes in saying that it's in his weakness that the power of Christ is most displayed. There'd be danger in becoming proud because if he would become proud, all he'd do is speak about himself the whole time. And that's not the point. But God's call is not to answer the question, what have I done today to make me feel proud? Rather, it comes in the way that we are humbled by God and can understand and communicate God through that. Paul says that he was given a thorn in the flesh that humbled him. And we don't know what that thorn in the flesh is. At Bible college, we had this great discussion, I remember, about what this thorn in the flesh was. I proposed that it might be a thorn in the flesh. Nobody seemed to believe that. 
Right, there we are. Just a little, a little lesson about biblical interpretation there, my friends. It's just because something says it's the thorn in the flesh. doesn't actually mean he's talking about a thorn in the flesh, it turns out. The Bible takes on metaphor, and sometimes we have to think about what it means rather than just read it off the page. Most people think the thorn in the flesh was possibly an eyesight problem that Paul had, which is referred to in a couple of places, but we don't know. Whatever that thing was, it was given to Paul, it says here. And what's clear is two or three things. First of all, this thorn is described as something which is given to him by God. Isn't that an interesting thing? Given something that was discomfort, given something which was painful by God. It's also quite clear in the text that the discomfort and the pain is real. It's not just imaginary. This genuinely is a difficulty, a struggle, something that's really hard, a discomfort that Paul lives with. It is genuine and troubling. But also, Paul clearly identifies that this problem, whatever it is, serves a purpose, to keep me from becoming proud. That's why. Paul comes to understand the way of the less is more God, recognizing that even his suffering, and actually, to push it even further, if you really look at what Jesus says, especially his suffering, sometimes actually reveals the nature of Jesus. Now that's a hard thing to say, isn't it? We don't, you don't often hear sermons preaching about the, the goodness of suffering. We tend to think about suffering that will be resolved by the gospel. But actually, if you look at what Jesus says and Paul says, sometimes they say that suffering is something that expresses the gospel, not something that is resolved by the gospel. So some of the people that our friends here who work overseas work with have to think like that from time to time, that there is a meaning in this experience that I'm going through which reveals Jesus along the way. Maybe that's true of us from time to time. When I was thinking about this, I was thinking about John the Baptist. John the Baptist, who in the midst of his burgeoning ministry, when everybody was coming to him, saw Jesus arrive. And Jesus started to do things which were beyond he could do. And the disciples went to see John the Baptist. And you know what John the Baptist said? He said, he really annoys me, this Jesus bloke, because things were going so well. If he'd just get out of town, my career would go really, really well here. He doesn't say that. What he says is, he must become greater. I must become less. That's pretty countercultural as well, isn't it? Think about that as a mission statement for your life about Jesus. He must become greater. I must become less. That's what Paul talks about in this passage here. He says, and someone has written about this saying, God's power and human power are not only not the same thing, often the second has to be knocked out of the way altogether for the, worst to for the first to shine through as God desires and, in and intended. In other words, we either live a life which draws glory to ourselves, or we live a life which draws glory to God. And if, we're, if we really want to do the second of those things, the chances are we need to become less, and that will be humbling along the time. And that runs counter to the way in which we're supposed to be, doesn't it? And yet, Paul says, if you want to know the power of Christ, not the power of self, this is the way that you have to go. There's a curious expression in John's Gospel. When uh, I don't know if you know this section. It's in chapter 3 of John's Gospel, 
When, as Jesus looks to the cross, he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now this phrase, lifted up, is really interesting. He's talking about a story that's found in the Old Testament where Moses makes a bronze serpent when all the people are ill, and he puts them up in front of the people. When people look at it, the serpent, they are healed. And he says, you remember that, how that healing came from that serpent? Well, that's going to be a bit like the cross that's going to happen. Because when I'm raised up like that serpent, but I will be on a cross, as people look to me, they will find healing. And they will find a way through that. But that phrase, lifted up, doesn't just simply mean physically lifted up from the ground. It means glorified. In other words, Jesus was saying that when I am glorified is the same as when I am lifted up on the cross. Think about that for a moment. The glory of God is seen in the moment when he's nailed to a cross. That's probably not your choice of what glory would look like. And yet that is at the heart of the gospel. Because it turns out that the power and the glory that Jesus show doesn't come in spite of suffering, but because of suffering and through that way. Because being raised up is an act of servanthood and selflessness, which saves other people. The power that we know comes through the weakness of the cross out and the power of the resurrection. There will be times and experiences in our lives when we have to know the weakness of the cross. And we can only know the power of the resurrection if we're prepared to go to that place along the way. So are you prepared for that experience, the thorn in the flesh that may come your way? Suffering, as I said, isn't just resolved in the, by the gospel, but it expresses the heart of the gospel. After all, didn't Jesus say, greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their lives for their friends? This is the power of the gospel. This is what Jesus did for you, archetypally. He didn't come like Superman. Wasn't it inter- interesting when Joe asked who, our strength, who we thought of as a strong person? They were all Marvel superheroes. Well, Jesus isn't like a Marvel superhero, actually. He comes to lay down his life for us. But he doesn't just lay down his life. He finds new creation life out of the grave. And he says to each one of us, follow me. Follow me through the cross into the resurrection. But Paul doesn't immediately simply say, well, weakness is, that's the thing then. I'll just accept this. It tells us in this scripture that he prayed about it, didn't he? How many times? Three times. Three times I had this scripture. Three times I went to hungry prayer on a Sunday night and I asked for prayer and I said, please take the thorn in the flesh away from me. Three times I went, everyone gathered around me and we prayed that prayer. Three times I went to that place and it wasn't taken away from me. Really interesting reflection that. Three times I prayed for this to be taken away from me. wasn't taken away from me. I always remember this when I do occasionally hear people say that if you have real faith, you'll definitely be healed. Did Paul not have real faith? Three times he went to a prayer meeting about this. And it wasn't taken away from him. Does this mean that God didn't answer his prayer? That's an interesting question. 
Does this mean that God didn't answer his prayer? I think what it means is that God didn't grant his request, which is that he took the thorn away from him. But he did answer the prayer. And we'll come to exactly how he answered the prayer in a moment. You see, he answered the prayer by allowing the thorn to, to stay because there was something else that was beyond this that he needed to know. Humility like this is a precursor to living fully for God, it seems. And sometimes the grace and purpose of the less is more God comes through unanswered prayer, it seems. Is that possible? Sometimes God's grace comes when God doesn't seem to do what we want him to do. He does answer the prayer, but not the way that we would want him to do. He doesn't simply grant what we ask. Rather, he answers us more fully and richly than that. In fact, if Paul's prayer was not answered in healing, I think the answer came in a word of prophecy instead. And here's the word that he, he was given as an answer to his prayer. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Please take this thorn away. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Please take this thorn away from me. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in me. Please take this thorn away from me. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The power of Christ is not found in human strength, but in human weakness that is met by the grace of God. Of course, our greatest weakness of all is that we are crippled by sin. That the cross meets that and, reveal, and, and meets that need for us, saves us from that destiny that is ours. My grace is sufficient for you, Paul says. Jesus says, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I really, really think if we want to go on with God, that the answer often is not that we find strength, but that we admit our weaknesses. If you are struggling with something and you're just constantly praying that God would give you strength and you are not facing up to the reality of what makes you weak, all that will happen is you will move on to a new set of circumstances and you'll experience exactly the same thing again. It's interesting that it says, my grace is sufficient for you. Grace being sufficient is different from grace being efficient for you. Sorry about this, I like words. I've used esoteric already today. I'm making another word point here. Sufficient means that it has everything that it needs. Efficient means it has everything it needs and it's working. In other words, you can have all the grace that God gives you, but if you continue to trust in your own strength, it won't be efficient for you. It will just be sufficient for you. You have it, but it's not engaged. It's not plugged in, because instead of trusting God, you're trusting in your own strength along the way. So my challenge to you a little bit this morning is this, to remember that weakness stands at the gateway of knowing the strength of Christ. And if there are things that you have struggled with for years, or there are things that you continue to struggle with, and you don't from time to time come to somebody you trust and say, this is the truth. This is the reality. Let me tell you why this is the way it is. Or will you help me to understand why I do this? You will not know 
the efficiency of grace. You'll just be able to be told about its sufficiency. And I believe God wants us to know that change in our hearts. Paul concludes his writing on the thorn in the flesh saying, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. Why am I going to boast about weakness? Why would you go about boasting about weakness? What's the point in that? I've just been reading a book that uh, Kunle gave me. I don't think Kunle's here this morning. Are you? Kunle, hi. I'm reading a book called The Making of the Modern Self. Or the writing. Do you know that book you gave me? The writing. Gosh, that was a heavy book you gave me, wasn't it? I read that on holiday. It didn't cheer me up. I can tell you that much. It talks about Nietzsche. Nietzsche. And it talks about radical feminism. And it talks about Marx and Freud and various different things. But the thing about Nietzsche is, he says that if you stop believing in the reality of God, which many people do, you have to make up your own meaning out of that. And you have to be strong to do that. The weak will not survive. There's nothing to fall back on. It's just you against the world. And if you're weak, you're going down. But the the message of the gospel is, you are weak. Of course you are. You're wonderful and glorious as well, and you're intended, but you are weak. And it's only by knowing the strength of Christ that you can rise above that. And that you can find that you can carry, because you know that verse from Matthew eleven twenty-eight. It's one of my favorite verses. Come to me all who are tired and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that lovely story about a yoke being about that thing that cows wear. Cows, they're brilliant, aren't they? I love cows. I saw a lot of those last week. Big horned cows that they were where I was last week. They're fantastic. But two of them, you're supposed to be double yoked. You on one side, take the yoke of Christ, Christ on the other. What does Christ do? Well, A, he directs it and B, he carries most of the weight. Try and do it by yourself, you're just going to be crushed. You won't get by in life simply by trying to be strong all the time. You eventually will be crushed. But there is strength in weakness when we're honest with each other. And we find a way through that by the sufficient grace of God. It says here that Christ's power may rest on us. What it literally means is Christ's power will make its living quarters in you. In other words, if you accept weakness, Christ's power will be part of your experience all the time. will come and live with you. Another program from the 80s or 90s. I realized that my references need to be updated because most of my references are from 53-year-old men's idea of the world. Um, but hey, most of you will get most of these things. Lloyd Grossman. Do you remember him? Do you remember his catchphrase? Who would live in a house like this? Or something like that. He spoke in that very funny voice, didn't he? Who would live in a house like this? He'd say to himself, well, look at me. Look at my body, everybody. I'm a bit wobbly at the edges. I'm trying my best to lose weight, but I'm doing, you know, I'm still a bit wobbly at the edges. Walk with me. Come and live in my house for a while. I get all scared and silly and overreact to things. Look at me. Look at this place that I live in. Lloyd Grossman would say, who would live in a house like that? And Paul's answer is, Jesus would. Jesus has grand designs on places like that. (coughs) Wish I didn't do that stuff, you know. 
I really believe that, everybody. See, here's my message from my heart to you today. Here's the thing. I believe in Jesus. Because I'm weak. Some people say that religion is just a prop to hold you up. It's not just a prop, but it is a prop. And if you haven't got religion, you've got other things. So stop telling me that you haven't got props, because you have. But it's more than a prop, because it's a grand design. Who would live in a house like that? Jesus would. Why? Because he loves you. He's never going to give up on you. He's died for you. Sin's power has been defeated. There is a future for you. There's a new body waiting for you. There's a glorious resurrection world that is coming. And our task with all our hearts right now is to let that world burst out from the inside out and show signs of it to everybody around us to say, you may feel worried and afraid. I haven't got the answer to your worries and fears because I feel like that too. But let me tell you about somebody who gives me strength, who lives in me. And I'm going to pray here. And I can't fix you because I'm not a fixer, but I want to walk with you. I want to be with you. Because Jesus is Emmanuel, and Jesus' main name is simply this, God with us. Who would live in a house like that? Jesus would. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, such is the way of the less is more God. Amen.